morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Democratic Perspective. Steve Williamson here. In the studio is Karen McClellan, who's been on, hosted the show before. Karen's been a past president of Democrats of the Red Rock, and she's been on the school board forever and a day. <laughs> right, Karen? Sometimes it seems like that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, our guest today is Max Richmond. He's the CEO and president of... Um, the Committee to Preserve uh, Social Security and Medicare. Max has been on the show many times before, uh, particularly this year with a lot of the legislative stuff going on. Right now, uh, uh, the, the committee reached out to us, and there's a whole bunch of very important bills um, in Congress now, a bunch of um, um, tipping points, a bunch of, a, a bunch of places where the bills narrow down and they could go one way or the other to success or failure, right, Karen? Pretty close. So, Max, are you there? Yes. Uh, Thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. Well, we always enjoy you having you on, and you always have a lot of of good ideas for us. And I guess let's focus on the the issue of uh, one of the issues that we're facing now is that the filibuster and our one of our senators, Senator Kirsten Cinema, is opposed to doing anything to the filibuster. I interviewed Cinema uh, uh, er, twice early in his car- uh, career, once on the radio, or maybe twice on the radio, and uh, then I did once I did a videotape of her. Um, I've, gosh, interviewed for ten years tons of Democratic uh, candidates. 300 maybe, uh, and I've, I've only ran into a couple of, run into a couple of them that left me a little disturbed. One was a fellow from uh, Florida who I really liked his politics, but there was something about, I don't know, his attitude and stuff. Uh, Cinnamon was polished from day one when she just started out doing politics. I thought that was great at the time. Now I wonder a little bit. She was just like, she like could be, had just put her foot in the ring for a minor a minor position, not a minor, important, but in the state. And whammo, she was like a pro. You know, it was like, you know, she was in fact the most professional interview I had in those earlier years, Karen, even though she was the most inexperienced. Yeah, well, she wrote a book about organizing and grassroots organizing, and she came and spoke to us in Sedona um, before she even ran for Congress. She was on uh, President Obama's committee looking at at the ACA, one of those advisory committees, she came and spoke to us about that bill before it was even voted on back in 2009. And, of course, she was uh, strong for uh, health care, all kinds of things, very progressive candidate, and it's been changing since then. When, when, um, yeah, um, I guess we should go to Max on this. The the thing thing about her was that, um, well, I, I I did a, a a little talk before the indivisible in Sedona, and I and people ask what about uh, cinema or what about the other candidate? The other candidate was progressive; they agreed with pretty much everything she said. Cinema was not so much, 
And I said to them, I said, well, um, she's very aggressive. Now, when you say that about a woman, it's very positive cause, because because of the suppression of, of female uh, ambition. So I said, she's very aggressive. If I had said it about a man, it would have been a warning. When I say a man is 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 uh, very aggressive or very you know those kind of uh, terms, it warns you that you know he could kind of go either way. Or I guess I used the term. I'm sorry, I used the term ambitious. <laughs> I said she's very ambitious, and they all said, "Well, that's great." And I said, "Yeah, it's it's good." But if I said a man is very ambitious, then you'd just kind of keep an eye on him and his politics. So. Um, I have to say, Max, there's a lot of frustration, Karen, right, with, with Kirsten Sinema's mm-hmm. politics now in Arizona among Democrats. Yeah, there certainly has been. I'm on the Democratic State Committee, and we did vote at our meeting last week that if Sinema doesn't vote on certain bills, doesn't eliminate the filibuster, that the party may not support her for re-election in 2024. You know, it sort of depends on what she does. That's come up a number of times since she was elected. This was the first time that an overwhelming majority of you know, the, uh, probably four or five hundred of the six hundred um, committee members on the meeting all voted that this you know, was time to say something to her and send her a message that she's veering away you know, from what we all feel are democratic principles and sort of bedrock ideas. And most people I know are not going to contribute to her campaign in the primary. Max has a particular take because the Committee to Defend Social Security and Medicare's focuses on the way bills affect and the way policy affects the elderly, uh, disabled, and, um, and, and, and children of, of uh, people who lost their parents. So, Max, um, what can you say um, uh, about uh, Kirsten Sinema? She's underwater in, with her own party. I mean, I think she only has 47%. Support. Well, uh, let me let me start off by saying that our organization, the Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare, uh, endorsed uh, Senator Sinema when she ran in, uh, for the Senate a couple of years ago. In fact, I came down to Phoenix and I did a big uh, event with her, uh, where I presented uh, our endorsement. I believe it was at a senior center. There were several hundred uh, in attendance. Of course, this was before the virus when people got together (laughs) much more readily. Uh, She was very well received. And the reason we endorsed her is she had a very good record on senior issues uh, when she was, uh, before she was elected to the Senate. And in conversations I had with her uh, uh, to get ready for the endorsement, she basically um, said all the right things from our perspective, in in terms of what she would support for, in, for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, Older Americans Act. So we did endorse her. Um, in, in the last uh, uh, few weeks, we have been trying to communicate with her in a number of different ways uh, regarding the voting rights issue. And uh, we all know, you know very well, uh, that she has uh, uh, opposed any any uh, change in the filibuster rule, without which uh, the voting issue cannot. She's not the only one, but there are only a couple. But without which the voting issue cannot uh, survive in the Senate. It will it will be killed uh, through the filibuster. So here, 
what we've done, well, one thing we've done is uh, right now being on your program, uh, communicating to her that we would hope that she would agree to carve out an exception to the filibuster uh, with regards to uh, the numbers have changed a little bit. Basically, it was H.R. 1, the legislation that would uh, address some of the state legislatures that have are making it harder for people to vote. Now, why is that important uh, for our organization? Uh, the majority of seniors in the last election voted uh, absentee, voted by mail. It was not only more convenient, but frankly, a lot safer uh, in the middle of the pandemic. And for many seniors, that is uh, extremely important because of mobility issues, transportation issues so we are uh, prevailing on her to agree uh, to an exception a carve-out if you will to the filibuster for this purpose for the voting uh, voting issue I have uh, I, I know Senator DeConcini I was staff director of two different committees in the US Senate before I came to this organization uh, and in that life, I got to know Senator DeConcini pretty well, uh, and I was able to contact him. And he and I uh, co-authored a um, op-ed that appeared in the Tucson, I believe it's called the Sentinel, uh, Tucson Sentinel paper, last either Friday or Saturday, basically laying out the argument of why it's important uh, to... Uh, have an exception to the filibuster for this purpose, for the voting issue, because it's so central uh, uh, to uh, our democracy. And it wouldn't be the first time. I mean, the Senate has changed the rules in the last few years on uh, whether a filibuster uh, can stop a, a court nomination, federal court, even the Supreme Court. And uh, so it would not set a precedent. It's happened before. So. I'm hoping that she will pay attention uh, to uh, the op-ed, to a, a letter. Uh, we sent her a letter, a very clear letter, basically uh, uh, two things, commending her for trying to work in a bipartisan manner. I think that is commendable. But asking her on this particular issue to make an exception to the filibuster rule, I, I, she has not responded to that up, in, up until this point. And then there's, of course, the, the reconciliation bill, which we are very involved with. And uh, we're, we're hoping that um, she will look at some of the arguments that we have uh, proposed. Max, give us some, some background on the reconciliation bill. Give us some background on the reconciliation bill for, for people who don't know quite what it is. Well, the, the reconciliation Reconciliation bill is really the vehicle for a big, big chunk of the president's agenda uh, dealing with uh, climate issues, uh, uh, home and community-based care, uh, uh, funding for uh, a lot of social programs. And the House uh, Budget Committee has reported out a bill, reconciliation bill, in the amount of $3.2 trillion dollars. Supposedly, the House is going to vote on it this week, uh, and the reconciliation bill is really—it's it, a—it's a, a 
way it's a piece of legislation, the budget legislation, that can circumvent the filibuster. Uh, you only need, and only certain um, matters can be included in that reconciliation bill that have budget imp- implications, <clears throat> and that would not require a supermajority to overcome a filibuster. It would just require a majority so it could be done in the same Senate on a straight party vote, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans, and the vice president breaks the tie. It can vote only to break a tie, which would give the, the Democrats uh, 51 votes to pass this. Now, uh, I've been reading lately, <coughs> excuse me, that... Senator Sinema has strong reservations about it uh, for a number of reasons. The, the biggest, one of the biggest issues for us and for seniors in Arizona and around the country is that legislation would change the law with regard to how the federal government can procure prescription drugs, pay for them under the Medicare program, under current law, in the case since 2003, the government is prohibited specifically in that the law that was passed in 2003 to expand Medicare to include coverage for prescription drugs uh, cannot negotiate for the best price. This makes no sense. Uh, You have an entity, federal government representing tens of millions of people, and they're at the mercy under the current law of the pharmaceutical companies that can charge whatever they want. <clears throat> so um, the reconciliation bill includes a provision that would allow the government to enter negotiations for prescription drug prices. And that would save billions of dollars, millions of dollars? <clears throat> Excuse me, that would save about $500 billion. Wow. What does that mean? It means that there would be enough money saved to, and this is what we have communicated to Senator Sinema, as well as others, this would provide enough funding to expand the Medicare program dramatically to, for the first time, cover uh, vision, dental, and hearing. A lot of seniors I have found in meetings I've had Across the country for years, they, they wait. To, they're waiting until they turn 65 to get about those kinds of services because they assume Medicare will cover hearing, dental, and vision, and it doesn't. So That's this certainly, uh, I certainly found that about that are, that local people dollars would, would provide the resources to expand this much-needed coverage. It won't be perfect. Won't be the coverage that I would like. But it'll be the beginning of covering uh, vision, dental, and hearing. So this is really a big, big issue for seniors, and we've impressed uh, on Senator Cinema how important this is. Uh, you for followed the seniors that in Arizona and around the country. Yeah, like she probably followed. Have you seen her indicate why she's opposed? Everything I've read, I haven't been able to find a real reason to why she's opposed to Medicare negotiating drug prices. It would seem to me a, a basic sort of idea. Hundreds of thousands of dollars well, from Big Pharma. I know she has reservations about the cost of the legislation and feels it's, it's too expensive that we, can't, we don't have the money, and we don't. 
some of this is paid for, I'm told, a lot of it by raising uh, taxes on, uh, on the wealthy and corporations. But she feels uh, that uh, it's too expensive and has, uh, from all the reports, uh, news reports, has, has said she, she would not support it. Now, as I said, reconciliation only requires uh, 51 votes, but you'd have to have 50 before the vice president could vote. So in a Senate that is 50-50, Democrat-Republican, if you have uh, someone uh, who says no, whether it's Cinema or Joe Manchin or anybody, that's the end of it. So that defeats. You know, the I know. I know. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of pressure on her to make some uh, to reconsider her position on uh, on the reconciliation package, especially when it comes to the importance of uh, reducing the cost of prescription drugs. It's it's the number one issue, I think, for most seniors. Because Medicare is a great program, but it, it does not uh, have enough uh, coverage, even with the Part D prescription drug component, to really uh, take care of the out-of-pocket costs for that seniors have. And, and this, uh, the cost would be brought down significantly, obviously, if you're going to save $500 billion over 10 years. So we're we're doing everything we can, including being on your program uh, right now. I always had trouble, and I think a lot of other Democrats have, are understanding quite why Cinema has the policy she does. Uh, Max, she's always seemed to skewer further to the right than she has to to survive in an Arizona environment. I think that's the frustration of Democrats is she, you know, we, we now have, we elected uh, uh, Biden in our state and the uh, Republicans had this crazy recount and it turned out that he won by more than the original recount. Right. And they spent millions of bucks on this thing. So we're in a situation we can't understand. Um, we can't understand why she's doing what she did. And like Karen, you've read her book. She wrote a book in her early years about working across the aisle and stuff. And it all sounds very good to us. But we didn't think she would never occur to most of us that she would be giving up all her democratic positions to make these these compromises and that she would compromise when other people in Congress, when she was in Congress, other Arizona congressional representatives believed that she didn't have to do it and didn't understand why she was voting the way she was. It's yeah. like overprotecting herself from a state that's changing. It is at least now purple. She doesn't have to act like she's coming from uh, Utah, right? Yeah, but, you know, it wouldn't. Yeah, be you know, I, um, I couldn't. You know, I couldn't possibly answer why. I, I, I don't. I try to avoid getting into the motives. Yeah. Why people are doing what they're doing, voting the way they're voting, because but, I don't know. Well, she seems to just. I don't know all, all everything that goes yeah. in for thinking. But yeah, think but she hasn't. She hasn't told to us, which I, is what. You've got Senator oh, Kelly. Yeah. Who who is up in two is up next year? Yeah. Not in not in you know four years, yeah. like the Senator Cinema, and um, I don't see that. Uh, uh, I don't. I'm not hearing of any. Uh, reluctance on his part to uh, uh, support uh, 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 
reconciliation or to not acknowledge the importance of the prescription drug issue. So, and he he's, uh, uh, as I said, he, he's facing re-election next November. Right. And there's so what we're seeing in Arizona now is massive spending either by cinema's campaign or by Big Pharma to support her. And daytime TV uh, is filled with uh, pro cinema ads of her being nice to people and, and so forth and so on. It's and she's out of she's not even getting up for reelection for basically three years. Yeah. 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 And yet she has this massive spending program going on to defend her. And I, you know, I, people feel a little trapped by her politics um, and and don't know what to do. And so when I talk to Democrats, they don't know what to do. I think we want to underline that she's not willing to do a carve out for voting rights. It would seem to me the carve out in the filibuster for voting rights makes ultimate sense. If you're not going to protect voting rights, what are you going to protect? And of course, Max, we're in a state where they're attacking voting rights every which way they can. Um, preposterous legislation, um, keeping the Secretary of State right, Karen, from, yep. from being able to sue on the state's behalf. Yeah, a lot of a lot of crazy legislation. And in the state, you mentioned um, vote by mail. Arizona was a pioneer in pushing, you know, the state of Arizona in encouraging everybody to sign up to vote by mail. Yeah. You know, among our, our uh, organizing and democratic things in 2006, 2004, that was our major push. And the Republicans were doing the same. We were all pushing to get all of our voters to sign up to vote by mail. And that was supported completely by the state and both parties. And everybody understood how important that was for people in Arizona, seniors, rural citizens, Native Americans on reservations that aren't near, you know, that don't right. get mail delivery. And it just it sort of boggles my mind that now yeah. <laughs> we're, we're you know the state is sort of backtracked and they're all talking about you know the the you know trying to restrict voting rather than expand it. And we understand the Republicans think that I guess they think the demographics is events against them and and long term it probably is. And but this this. It's sort of subversive to the idea of America to keep – I know it's happened all through American history, Karen and, and Max. But it's kind of subversive to the fundamental idea of America to try to keep people from voting, you know, uh, as a way to win elections. Um, that's kind of not the way to go. And it doesn't matter. I don't care which political party does that. I, it does. It, it's fundamentally against our, our democratic system. So it seems to me, and I'm sure it does to Karen, like in this, we're in a, a madness situation with Republicans with all this legislation and phony recounts of ballots. And here she won't, won't support a carve out would mean that the, 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 the country would do, the nation would act more to protect voting. So I think that's uh, an, an issue for us. I think people understand the reconciliation bill. What else is important, Max, for seniors in the bill besides the the, the rural course folks? Is it that, that, that Medicare can't negotiate drug prices? Now, does that make any sense whatsoever at all? Yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. Particularly when the VA no, negotiates I... drug prices every day. You know, my my partner receives his medications, the VA, and pays nothing for anything. Yeah. And the VA has been able to negotiate drug prices for military uh, active duty and retirees for years. 
and why the rest of us who are on Medicare can't receive that same benefit right. makes no sense. Well, that's, a, that's an excellent example, and we know the VA is not restricted by that non-negotiation um, law, and and that's why the drugs are much much cheaper. So, <clears throat> you know, the the pharmaceutical companies have done a, a pretty good job of of uh, making sure that that law isn't changed. Now, I, you mentioned ads. I don't know about where you are in Arizona, but out back here in, on the East Coast, you cannot turn on television and watch it for any length of time without being bombarded by ads from the pharmaceutical industry uh, talking about uh, the, the pitfalls of this negotiation on pr- drug prices. And the argument is, well, if the government uh, does that, uh, we're not going to have the resources to do innovation, to do research, to bring these uh, life-saving drugs to the American people. That is a lie. I know you guys are probably too polite to call it a lie, but I'm not. No, I, I think it's a lie, Max. I mean, it's their main argument, and they use it for decades. And, and, and Why not have the government do more, fund more of the research and then get some of the benefits? The present system where... Government does pays for fundamental research, hands it over to the drug companies. The drug companies finish off the research and get collect all the money. <laughs> exactly. As a taxpayer, it seems sort of strange. If they were going to tell you the truth, they would tell you that what we're really spending the majority of our money from for is not the research, because as you accurately point out, the federal government funds a lot of that basic research. They're spending the money on on the, the, all those ads. All those ads you see on television and on the tens and tens of, of uh, millions of dollars that they spend on lobbying and campaign contributions. And dividends every, every for their election. dividends and for their stockholders and salaries. Enormous salaries. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did audiovisual, participated in, in doing audiovisual ads for some of the biggest pharmaceutical con- companies in the country. I was like a, a low guy on the totem pole. But the organization of those outfits, the amount of money they spend on internal uh, audiovisual shows, the amount of money they spent zapping their their salespeople till they were an inch of their life, you know, just juicing them up, uh, was was pretty astonishing. Those companies are often look like they're organized from from the outside. Somebody doing their audiovisual shows, like almost like military organization. And what they would do is they would take the CEO of 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 uh, Merck or some someplace, and they would bring him in and. He would write a speech, and then our speech writers would rewrite his speech over and over again. And we had a Broadway director who would teach him how to present. And so we talk a guy who spent his whole life in the boardrooms, which is fair enough. That's where he should be getting his expertise. And we turned him into a dynamic speaker with five screens behind him flashing happy pictures. So the amount of money that they are spending, even on audiovisual shows, is astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and as I said, they've been pretty successful. The law has been on the books since uh, since 2003. You know, I, I was in, I worked at the committee to preserve Social Security and Medicare when that law passed, and we've lobbied for many years before I came there that Medicare should cover prescription drug costs, and it was a huge victory to begin some coverage. It was not perfect. Remember, there was the donut hole that part of 
when you're buying prescription drugs where you pay out-of-pocket until you reach a catastrophic out-of-pocket cost. That's been, that's been closed. <clears throat> but uh, I was in the gallery of the House when the law was being debated, and I, uh, I left about one, 1 in the morning to go home, and uh, apparently around 3 or 4 in the morning uh, when a deal was made with the pharmaceutical companies, uh, to protect them by preventing the government from negotiating. Uh, we've been trying ever since, ever since 2003 to get that changed and have, have not succeeded despite uh, overwhelming support around the country, Democrats, Republicans, independents, uh, understanding how co- it's common sense that you be, or have the ability to get the best price, just like the VA, just like happens in, in almost every other, I think every, industrialized country where the cost of drugs are, are much cheaper. but we And we're on the verge of it now, on the verge of finally succeeding in changing that, saving, uh, you know, as we said earlier, uh, nearly $500 billion that can be used to add important coverages of dental, vision, and hearing. Uh, but we've got to, the Democrats have got to stick together on that. Uh, or it's not going to happen. To answer, I went on too long, the answer, what else is in there for seniors? Very important, uh, about $400 billion for home and community-based care. This is in the president's uh, proposal. Uh, Senator Casey of uh, Pennsylvania has been leading the effort to include adding uh, $400 billion for home and community-based care adding that money to the Medicaid program so that there will be enough uh, resources to provide at least more adequate home care and community-based care than we have now. And one of the things that is so important in that proposal is it would uh, raise the salaries of those people who provide that care. And and right now, uh, there aren't enough people. Uh, to do those jobs because their their uh, their their pay is so low, but this legislation would um, improve their pay, uh, improve some of the benefits that are afforded to them, so you could have uh, a situation where more people can have access to help for the basic uh, uh, needs in, in life. Uh, I'm talking about bathing, dressing, eating at home which is cheaper, much cheaper than being in a nursing home. So over, over if you look at the big picture, it's a, it's a way to save some money, but uh, it's important that that piece of it survive. That's in, also in the reconciliation proposal uh, that we were, have been talking about. I, I think to sum up is that this bill could make a lot of people's lives easier, not only the people from being cared for, but the people doing the caretaking. And I think most of us know that there's a shortage of them, and we know, right, Karen, that they're grossly underpaid. Extreme, yeah. It's a a very underpaid industry, and it's something that needs to be supported, even with individual states and governmental increases in minimum wage. Most of those people are minimum wage workers in lots of ways. So So thank you for letting us vent. About about curses cinema. I know from Washington it seems different. It's an objective, uh, and we wanted to walk more, um, move on, um, uh, Max, to the 
impending shutdown of the government, how that might affect seniors? Well, what, right now, the government runs out of money uh, at the end of the week, the end of the fiscal year, end of September. And uh, if the government is shut down, there's serious uh, questions. I'm just talking, I mean, it's catastrophic for a lot of reasons, but in terms of Social Security, it is not clear that uh, the, the uh, uh, ability to send checks would be maintained. Uh, on, on top of that, we're, besides run, running out of money, the appropriations uh, expiring and there's no new, new appropriations, as you, <coughs> excuse me, as you know, the, the debt limit will be reached about the same time. The Treasury Secretary Yellen has told us that early October, uh, unless the Congress raises the debt limit, the amount of money the government can borrow or suspends it, which is what happened the last time, there will, uh, the government uh, will default on, a, on, a, on the national debt. That would be catastrophic. What does it mean for Social Security? <laughs> this is a little complicated, but... Uh, Social Security has a trust fund. Uh, more money for years has been paid in than is paid out in benefits. <clears throat> that is now being uh, is in the trillions of dollars, and by design, to take care of when the baby boomers have started to enter the Social Security program. So this money has been built up in the trust fund. Now, as I've said, explained many times, we don't have trillions of dollars in cash. Even a delay for a month uh, from those you know, gov government payout and checks of various kinds would hurt a lot of people. Um, the last time the government actually Absolutely. shut down. You know, if you're on, if 40% yeah. of Social Security beneficiaries uh, depend yeah. on Social Security for 90% yeah. or more of their income. Yeah, well, Max, I'm, I'm on social, get Social Security, and it's not that much of my income, but it is the bulk of my income. So without a Social Security check in October, there's a whole bunch of other bills I wouldn't be able to pay, which I don't really want to want to do. Um, 
last time the government shut down, I mean, they did raise the debt limit, but they let the, you know, the government shut down and the federal government closed. And here in northern Arizona, that cost the local economy in northern Arizona something like a billion dollars yeah. because the national park shut down, the tourism shut down. And I was working in, in a store in Sedona, dependent on tourist business. And for that period of time, I think it was a week or so, maybe a bit more, you know, the traffic in the town, the people buying things, paying everybody was really impacted by that. And the state of Arizona stepped in to help um, guarantee some coverage. And, and the park stayed open, uh, the national park stayed open partly because of some money the state guaranteed if, if, it, if necessary, which didn't really, I don't think they needed to do that. But the parks were shut and that's. You know, and in this area that's dependent so much on tourism, a government shutdown, because you know, in the past the Republicans have always been unwilling to actually let the debt limit, you know, not pass something about the debt limit, because that means if we default on those bills, that hurts our sort of standing in the whole world, makes people look, you know, look differently. We become, we become a sort of automatic third world country if we can't pay our bills. I think that's exactly yeah. right. So uh, we, Max, yeah. beyond the actual quiet economic damage that it does, it, it it's discredits the United States if we can't negotiate raising the debt limit and and keeping the government running. I mean, that is really a sign of um, a really dysfunctional uh, government, which we usually uh, um, ascribe to uh, other countries. Yeah, I'm. I haven't given up on all this being resolved uh, in the next week. I think it's still. I think it's still possible. I think what what I predict is uh, 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 legislation will be, be passed to allow the government to stay open for until uh, sometime in December. This has happened quite a few times in the past, and and during that time, uh, some of the differences, some of the policy differences uh, that would that have prevented the full appropriations from. Going through the regular course, uh, a political course and, and, and legislative course, will be resolved. And and I do hope that uh, uh, I, I was with at a retreat this weekend. There were about a dozen senators there, uh, all Democrats. But I I tried to impress upon them the importance of uh, of uh, the debt limit issue. Uh, I'm representing our millions of members and supporters, so I'm trying to focus on what that would do to Social Security benefits. And as I said, uh, if the response is "Don't worry, uh, they'll get they'll get paid," they might be a few weeks or a few months late. If you depend on most of your income from Social Security, you cannot afford to wait a few weeks or a few months. You, then you have to choose between paying your rent. Buying your medicine, buying your food, paying utilities, and those are those are pretty difficult choices. So uh, I don't I don't accept the argument that, that uh, don't worry it'll, they'll be paid paid eventually. That's probably true, but if you are relying on that program to live day to day, that's not that's not a reasonable uh, solution. Well, the thing I see is that, you know, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans, if they just say, well, you know, we had the pandemic, we have to raise the debt limit because we took in less money, whatever. If they say that, they have no leverage at all. If they refuse to do anything, sign on any debt limit for any reason, then that gives them leverage. 
And Mitch McConnell, bless his heart, this is this is what he does, and it doesn't matter whether it furthers the interests of the country. They had no trouble raising the debt limit uh, the last time when 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 uh, because of President Trump Trump's and Republicans' huge tax cuts uh, affecting uh, impacting mostly wealthy wealthy among us, corporate America. They had no problem yeah. raising the yeah. debt limit. Yeah, we, we look at these. That, from, added, that added trillions of dollars to yeah. the debt, but that was fine. But we look at the bottom line in his mind, of course, is that the policies that he may cause not to take place that are on Biden's agenda would you know, benefit a lo- huge numbers of Americans of both parties. And if we pass the voting rights bills, the reconciliation bills, all these things in the 2022 elections, a lot of people would say, hey, the government did something good for me. And right. maybe they wouldn't vote Republican. And we know that's the bottom line on, right. on all of these we issues. We have to wrap things yeah. up now, uh, Max. It's, it's been great talking to you. I sent out uh, the, the, the outline that Brad sent me, the, the questions about Kirsten Cinema because we are in Arizona. It is very uh, a live uh, thing. And I sent it out to a number of people, and I want to read one of the responses from Toby Friedman that I particularly liked. This is for really for Arizona Democrats and independents. Yeah, and this is from a woman who organized the only in-person fundraiser that cinema held in Sedona when she ran for the Senate. Um, and uh, Toby Friedman says, my personal feelings are that we have to continue to stand up for how we believe she should conduct herself as an elected Democrat People from all over the country are watching how we are dealing with this in Arizona. All we can do is continue to make our voices heard. We supported her, raised money for her campaign, held fundraisers, and the Visibles, Toby's singing group, wrote and even sang a song for her. So so that's been the response from organized Democrats and, and us disorganized Democrats, but the, the Democrats are very well organized here. And, and so um, I think we should... Uh, Thank Max for being with us and bringing this information. We always appreciate it. Um, People need to know their welfare is involved in politics. It's not all, well, even a war off somewhere would be bad for your welfare, but but, um, it's a lot about your welfare as a person. And people have to admit that government does a lot of good stuff for them, and the federal government particularly. And they also keep a guardian on our rights because you can see the craziness in Arizona of what the Republicans do if they were completely unleashed. We want to... um, Thank the Democrats of the Red Rock, Karen, the past president, for their support, continued support. But we want to thank the Yavapai Democratic Party for their support. Um, We had those fellows over from the other side of the mountain to talk about what's going on. And uh, we'd like to thank El Portal, um, the most dog-friendly hotel in the world or universe. Um, It's a great little place here, and and we'd like to thank El Portal. Portal and Steve Segner for their continued support. Um, Karen, you want to sort of sum things up? And before we go, we got like yeah. one minute left. Yeah, just a couple of, of notes. Um, Sedona is having a women's march this Saturday at 10 o'clock. Um, we meet at 10 o'clock at the corner of Coffee Pot Road and 89A. We're going to walk a short distance up to the Jamison Memorial Park and back, just a short, flat walk. Um, this one is focusing on reproductive rights after what's happened in Texas and other places. And also we're having a picnic on October 17th. So check the Democrats of the Red Rocks website for more information on our September Sedona picnic or uh, October are, picnic. Are you having those auctions, those quiet auctions and things this time or not? Um, we're doing it a little bit different. We've got some games. We've got some different activities. It's going to be up at the Posse Grounds Park. 
Your yeah, picnics are always inventive yeah. and they're always different. And they're and we know, will have some of the some of the candidates running for local statewide offices. Uh, there's a chance you can meet people, sign their petitions, find out who's running, since there will be Democratic primaries in quite a number of statewide offices this year. So you both get informed and and and, uh, and have a good time. Fun, I yeah. mean, they're they're yeah. interesting. Politics can be fun um, yeah. as well as uh, <laughs> as hard work, as someone like uh, Karen is, <laughs> knows firsthand. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, Listen to all our podcasts or some of the podcasts or one of the podcasts on vvid.org. Thank you for being with us, folks. We appreciate you listening. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.